Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis and New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. Woo! Welcome to the Boney Podcast. My name is Nosheen Khan and I will be your host for today. Today we are joined by Prince Shah, who is a senior at Tufts University in Boston. We're actually recording right now in Boston. In October of last year, we featured Prince's story on our Bengalis of New York page, and it was a huge hit. A lot of people really resonated with his story. For context, Prince wrote about his dad's journey from Bangladesh to America and how Prince embodies the American dream. He starts off by saying his dad was illiterate, won the visa lottery and came to America and helped build a life for him and his family. And just tracing that journey to present day is incredibly profound. So Prince is going to tell us a little bit more about that today. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, that's a really interesting name, Prince Shah. How, how did that come about? So the story of how that came about is actually really close to my heart. And I think it also ties in really well with the post that I made a couple months ago. Um, so as I mentioned in that post, my dad came here on the visa lottery, which, as you said, that's how actually a lot of our dads ended up coming to America. And I think that's why a lot of people were able to relate to the post so deeply. And so my dad applied for that lottery just like everybody else in his village did. And he was the only one that got that lottery ticket. And for him, it was like, I mean, he won the lottery, right? He gets to come to America. Everyone over there, they think that the streets here are paved with gold and whatnot. He's like, he thinks he hasn't made. Um, so he comes here and obviously, like, he works really hard for several years. And he has me. And when my grandfather, my dada, hears that he has a grandson who's an American... He's so elated by this news that he says, you know what, I'm going to give him like the craziest name ever. And the backstory behind this is that my family name is actually Fakir. And I don't know how much Bangla you know or how much Arabic you know, but Fakir, that means you're poor. It means you're a peasant. And that's been my family's name for generations by this point, before my dad came to America. And so, but now he has me. And I'm an American, right? And my grandfather is so excited for me. And he, and he has such high hopes for me that him, despite coming from this peasant background, he says, no, I want this kid to break the mold. And so he comes up with the name Shahjada. Shahjada, Shah means king. Jada means son of. Son of a king, prince. So I just go by prince. Wow. And he also took away the fakir last name and he replaced it with Islam. Because he wanted me to be a prince of Islam or something like that. So right. <laughs> he gave me, I owe it to him for such a baller name. That's that's really symbolic. I mean, going from Foki to prince, <laughs> poor person to a prince. But also, right. as you mentioned, your dad um, was illiterate and grew up in a village mm. and now lives in New York City in America. And that, that jump is huge. Like within right. one generation, to I think, that jump is insane. I, I think just in that naming disparity itself, you have the American dream kind of. Wow. It's amazing. So, yeah. so you kind of embody the American dream. Well, I hope to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you're in the middle of fulfilling your, your own dream. Um, so, so you're at, at Tufts and you're majoring in computer science, minoring in math. Um, and you're taking a couple education classes and mm-hmm. hope to be a teacher for Teach for America once you graduate this May, actually. Yeah, soon. Which is, so, which is so exciting. Yeah. Um, but I also understand you started Tufts, not thinking you'd do computer science or math at all. I didn't. So 
I actually always knew that I wanted to work in education. So when I entered high school, I came in like a lot of other kids that I was like, you know what, I'm going to do pre-med. I'm going to become a doctor. I got it all planned out. And it's mostly because my parents just fed it to me and they were like, you know what, you're going to be a doctor. They're going to call you Dr. Islam. You're going to bring so much prestige to the family. And I got to junior year of high school and I'm like, you know what, I don't want this. And I'm in AP Chem. Three days into AP Chem, I just walk out. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> And so I had this identity crisis. I'm like, what do I want to do? What do I like doing? Okay, well, I want to do something that involves people and helping people. But also, I don't really want like an office job. I want to be out there like interacting with people more so. And, and then I also think a lot about, about my dad and about my family and about what got me to that point where I was at that time, like at Stuyvesant High School, a junior. And it was all because of my education that I had such a firm future in place. And so... I think I felt at that time that what brought everything together was my education mm -hmm. and I wanted to give back and share that gift of education with as, as many other students as I can. And it was just something that I was really passionate about then and I still am very passionate about now. Um, so I decided to go into teaching. Initially, I wanted to become an English teacher. And so when I applied to Tufts on my common app, I wrote, hey, I want to be an English major and I want to be a philosophy major because I was also really interested in philosophy back then. Also. Freshman year happens, I have to write a bunch of papers. I don't like writing papers. I think, yeah. I think I'm a good, I think I'm a decent writer and I enjoy writing, but when it comes to deadlines, I am not good with deadlines and papers. The one thing that I am good with deadlines for, I found was stuff like computer science and math, and that's stuff that I did well in when I was in high school as well. So I just flipped majors. Uh, so now I'm graduating with a bachelor's of science in computer science. Minoring in math, I'm going to be teaching math next year, mm -hmm. and I've taken a bunch of education courses as well, just for fun. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Um, I definitely understand where you're coming from, of parents wanting you to be a doctor, engineer, otherwise don't talk to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, how, how did your parents take that you wanted to major in English? Or they took it badly. Yeah? They took oh. it, they honestly, I think they still haven't forgiven me. I think it's going to take some time. Uh, my mom is always so my mom is a very very ambitious person and I think yeah. that she lives a lot of the dreams that she had for herself through, through me you. yeah um, and I think I can get a little bit more into specifics of that so my mom has six other siblings so it's like a very large extended Bengali family very typical um, but her dad my nana was actually a teacher oh. and in her village to this day people who come across my nana they refer to him as Kadir Mashtar because he was the master of all the kids in that village, right? And they're scared to death of him still. This yeah. man is 80, he can barely walk. They're still scared to death of him, I love how him, it's right? Mashtar. Kadir Mashtar, right? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so obviously he was a teacher. Uh, they were still like a very, very poor family in that village. Um, and he made sure that all of his kids got a great education. But in the long run, uh, my mom was the third oldest sibling. And so she had two other older siblings ahead of her who had to go to university. And in order to pay for the costs of her older brother's university tuition and living in Dhaka and all that, she was a really good student herself. But in order to offset those costs, my Nana chose to have her get married so he could be able to pay for them and not have to worry mm -hmm. as much about her. And that's actually how she ended up getting married to my dad. Uh -huh. um, and so she was this brilliant student, really good, really, really hardworking. She's still one of the most hardworking people like, that I've ever met. Yeah. But she was unable to fulfill all those dreams and ambitions that she had. And so from day one, as soon as I came out the womb, like she, she's always, she always talks to me about having a vision, having ambition, um, trying to do things for other people, doing, other things, doing things for your community, for your family, for yourself. 
Um, and I know when I hear from her that it's not just for me. She, it, it brings her pride personally. Yeah. Um, and she feels like she's living those dreams through me. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, <laughs> bringing that back to the whole uh, doctor thing, like obviously I think she wanted to be a doctor herself and she really wanted me to be able to fulfill that dream for her as well. Um, but it just wasn't for me. And yeah. I think she's come around to the idea of me working in education. She doesn't like the salary aspect of it. I don't think anybody <laughs> likes the salary aspect of it. Um, but I think she is proud of the fact that I'm able to help other, other students. She sees how passionate that I am about it. And I hope that maybe I could get her to see... Um, just the broader vision that I have for it personally and see how much good that I think I could bring to the world through this work. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that makes sense. So in a way, your mom also won the lottery by marrying your dad. So even though <laughs> uh-huh. it might have been shattering or it's shattering her for her to, oh, you're getting married off mm-hmm. and like you can't fulfill your own dreams. Yeah. Also in a way opened up so many doors, maybe not for her, but for you, yeah. and I think every every mom's dream is for their kid to be happier too. And have opportunity, yeah. To have opportunity. Yeah. yeah that's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also awesome that you, you figured this out really early on. I mean, a lot of kids go through college or maybe even get to med school, and mm-hmm. then they realize, you know, maybe this isn't for me, but they're mm-hmm. already so much in debt. Yeah. They've wasted so much time or effort, stress. Um mm-hmm. And that's really awesome that you know yourself well enough to make that decision in AP Chem of high school. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe it was something about that class, you know? Maybe it was something about yeah. that teacher. Oh, I was just no, like, I remember I, AP Chem. That yep. was yeah. not a pleasant class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and so in your post, you, you mentioned that by virtue of coming to this country, your dad opened up so many doors for you. Mm-hmm. You can now <clears> dine among like CEOs and other huge like business tycoons. Yeah. And, that's something that you would have never imagined or your dad probably would have never imagined. Yeah. The, like the extent to which coming to America could actually open up like opportunity for, for you. Right. I think, I think it's always the hope, right? And when you talk to people back home and you ask them about what they think about America, what their perceptions of America are, they think of it as this land of opportunity and this land of hope. But we live this experience. And as, Bing- as Bangladeshi first-generation uh first-generation immigrants and Americans, we come here and there's so many difficulties and hurdles and challenges and obstacles that we go through that sometimes we forget how much we overcome and how much opportunity there is in place for us here. Um, And so as far as like the whining and dining with the children of like millionaires and CEOs and stuff like that, um, it truly is amazing because my dad, coming from the background that he's from, he was able to provide for his son, me, and get me to the same station that all of these other children from these doctors, from these politicians, from these CEOs, we're at the same place now. We're eating at the same dining halls. Mm-hmm. We have the same professors. We hang out together, you know? Right. It's amazing. And I think it also says a lot about the land of opportunity because say what you will about America, we all know how many systemic issues there are in yeah. so many different areas of American life. But there is that chance here that there isn't in Bangladesh, at least to the extent that my dad would, ra- would rather come here and risk everything here, coming here, um, to have that chance, knowing that he wouldn't have it in Bangladesh. Um, right. I think it's something that's mystified generations of Americans. And I think it's something that Americans today are still really entranced with, the idea of the American dream. Um, and I mentioned in my post, what I want to work towards is making that American dream more accessible for others, mm-hmm. particularly because I've been through the American dream. I'm still going through the American dream. Exactly. I know all of the obstacles that it comes with, all the things that you have to go through to try to make it 
become a reality. Um, and I want to be able to share that gift that I've been given to be able to make it through that dream with other students, with other people from backgrounds just like mine. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely very clear that you're very optimistic about, you know, being, being here as American and going through the whole, the whole system. But I mean, as you've experienced it and will be a part of as a teacher, there are a lot of flaws within the education system. Oh, there are, and, of course. And you did, I understand you did a study, like an independent study on like education mm-hmm. um, and like systemic issues. Yeah, so uh, my sophomore year, I did an independent study on uh, the race riots in the New York City Department of Education in the whole system actually during the 70s, um, which was just a parallel to like the whole broader civil rights movement. I learned a lot about that. Um, I mean, to this day, schools in New York City are still very, very segregated despite decades of so many different initiatives that were undertaken by different mayors and different movements to try to integrate the system. Obviously, a lot of them have failed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to go get more into the specifics of that right now, partly because I don't know enough about it, but also partly yeah. because I don't think I do enough justice to it. Um, but that's definitely one of the things that I want to study. And one of the reasons why I want to work in the system is so I could learn more about these topics, mm-hmm. right? These topics, I mean, this system has 1.1 million students. It's the largest public school system in the United States, the New York City Department of Education. Say what you will about it, but it is the largest system in the entire United States. Almost twice as much as LA, which is which is second place. 1,800 schools, there's so much that goes on. And I want to understand the system at every level. I want to understand what it's like. I've been there as a student. I went to public schools my whole life. Mm-hmm. Now I want to go back as a teacher. right? I want to understand how the classroom dynamic works. What is it that gets students to learn? What is it that helps them learn? What is it that makes them feel empowered? Um, and helps them pursue their passions, right? I want to become a principal. How do you run a school building? How do you help teachers help kids learn, right? Mm-hmm. What are all the things that need to go into that? As a superintendent, what do you do to run a community of schools, a whole district of schools, right? Um, how do you bring positive change to this entire network that you have in front of you now? Right. I think there's so much to learn here. There's obviously so many issues um, to understand the nuances of, and. I'm personally really curious about all those issues, and I hope to be able to learn about them and hopefully make the system work better for students just like me and all students who are part of this humongous bureaucracy. Right. I mean, have you have you experienced anything yourself, whether it's in Tufts or through New York, like City Department of Education schools, um, that kind of led you to be interested in education or be like, well, this is an injustice and I kind of want to enter the system and help it from within? Or was it mainly the the passion for teaching and inspiring and empowering others that drove you to want to be a teacher? I think there are a lot of things that drove me to education. I think one of the main things is definitely just how much I love school just in general. I've always loved school. I feel like there's yeah. so much energy in school. There's so much hope in school, so much positivity. Um, and schools gave me a talent. Without schools, I wouldn't have anything. Again, I'm the son of Mohan Fakir. I come from a gen- I come from a whole generations of peasants, right? School gave me everything that I had. So that's definitely one thing that drove me to school. As far as issues go, um, I think I've had a very positive experience in the public school system. But a lot of that, I think, definitely has to do with the programs that I've been through. So uh, I was in a normal program during my elementary school years. And I was in a decent neighborhood we had a decent elementary school ps131 ps131 q yeah jamaica queens Uh uh-huh yeah before that i was at ps69 in jackson heights Mm -hmm. uh and then for middle school i tested into the igc program in my in my middle school 
And what is, what is IGC? IGC is just the honors program. It's pretty much gifted and talented, okay. right? And there's actually a whole firestorm now in the NYC Department of Education about whether or not we should have gifted and talented schools. And that's also a parallel to the whole SHSAT thing that's going on. There's a lot that goes into that. But I was fortunate to get into the gifted and talented program. And that school, that program itself is a feeder school into the specialized high school system. So now I take it up to the next level and I go to a specialized high school. Specialized high schools are feeder into like really prestigious colleges and that's why I made my way into Tufts. So I've had a very positive experience. Um, there are a lot of different factors that play into that experience. Obviously my parents put in a lot of hard work. A lot of it also has to do with the fact that we live in a good neighborhood. We don't have to deal with a lot of issues that other like minority populations might have to deal with. There's so much that goes into that. Um, I think the one issue that might fuel my desire to work in schools is just knowing the fact that for every success story that you hear, for every kid that you hear from a low-income background who goes to like an amazing college and then is able to support their family and buy them a house with like a nice white picket fence and whatnot, there is at least at least another student out there from the same background, if not many more, who had those same ambitions, who had those same dreams, but because of whatever systemic barriers may have been in place, they were unable to fulfill them. And I think that's something that's definitely, that definitely drives me to try to learn more about the system and try to understand how can we get as many students through the system as possible? How can we empower as many students through the system as we can? Right, without them falling through the cracks. Through the cracks, yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. Um, especially, I mean, now schools are in New York City are becoming chartered, right? And like they're becoming. There are. Like, public and private line is kind of mm -hmm. well so right? uh yeah so there are 1800 schools uh, over 1800 schools in new york city i think around 150 to 200 of them are charter schools charter schools aren't private schools they're just schools that are publicly funded uh but they are they have a lot more independence than public schools do so if you're just a normal traditional district public school there's like a lot of different rules and regulations that you have to follow no matter what as a charter school you get the same amount of money as any other district school in your neighborhood, but you have a lot more freedom in choosing about choosing how you want to spend that money, how you want to hire teachers, um, what kind of books you want to get, so many other things. Um, yeah. yeah. And again, they, that's, that's yet another issue within public education. Should we have charter schools? Um, even if it's not a yes or no answer, if we do have charter schools, then what should be their role? Why do we have them? Are they better than public schools? Should they even be compared to public schools? Right. What should their function be ultimately in the democracy that we have here? Yeah. So, um, do you have siblings? I do. I have one younger sister. Wow. Okay. Um, how old is she? She's in eighth grade. She uh -huh. she just took her SAT. She's going to go to high school soon. Uh, wow. We're really Big yeah. Step. Yeah, she's, she's been doing all the things that I've been doing so far, except she seems to be doing them better than I do. <laughs> so and she always holds that over my head, yeah. Right, so you're, you're the older, oldest person in the family, older brother. Oldest son, yeah. I guess you've, you've set, you set the bar very high by kind of surpassing all these expectations and hurdles and landing at Tufts and, you know, like you're graduating and you're going to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and so she, she kind of seems to have a path already paid for her of like these are the things you could do to get yeah. around where I am now so that's mm -hmm. that's really awesome and of course she's going to do better <laughs> yeah well <laughs> she has she has been doing better so yeah. far she always holds it over my head I mean to the point she's so competitive she digs out my report cards from <laughs> from like sixth seventh and eighth grade and she says she says hi you got like you got a 95 average guess what I got a 95.5 oh. say what's up <laughs> say what's up I'm better than you right, right? like she'll 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 do all of that yeah um but also I mean 
I'm I'm grateful for the mm-hmm. fact that I've been able to go through all these challenges and I know what the process is like going through specialized high schools and then going through college and whatnot. Now I'm in a position to tell her what that experience was like. I didn't have anybody to tell me about that, right? You and had to figure it out yourself. Like so many other first-generation low-income students across the country, I mean, we come to college and we're just like, all right, so how does this work? How does this work? How right. does, and there's, there's so much that, and there's like so much insecurity and there's so much trying to figure out whether you belong here and there's so much that goes into that. But if I can make it this far in life with like the limited knowledge that I had about like the college admissions process and all that stuff and whatever it may be, I want her to make Imagine. it that far right you know i wanted to make it even further right um Mm -hmm. i wanted to set her sights higher and i wanted to ultimately just pursue what she's passionate about in the same way that i did even my parents you know don't like it right um and yeah i just wanted to feel empowered the same way that i felt empowered right and i i think both you and your mom have a very like goal-oriented kind of ambitious mindset it it definitely comes from my mom she's definitely gonna inherit that (laughs) (laughs) well she already has it so yeah. yeah that's awesome um, and so I guess it seems back to your dad. So the way your dad grew up um, and kind of like the sh- the sudden shift um, from like the Bangladesh chapter of his life to mm-hmm. the American chapter of his life is so different from your upbringing um, Astronomically in, in different, New York. Yeah. And it sometimes feels like as children of the diaspora yeah. goes that they don't understand our world and we don't understand their world. And it's so hard sometimes to like reconcile the differences with them. Or there's a language barrier. There's yeah. a cultural barrier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, do your parents kind of use the Bangladesh card on you guys? Of we're going back to Bangladesh if you like, don't do this. I, I find it so funny when they do that. It's like we're packing our bags right now. Let's go back. <laughs> <laughs> I I think they, so. I think every parent uses the Bangladesh card in some way. The way my parents use it is they actually make me feel guilty. Oh, yeah, because I mean, I've been to Bangladesh and I've yeah, seen yeah. the way that my cousins live and I've seen the way that I live and I know I know how much of a disparity there is there. Um, so whenever like I do bad on a test and by bad on a test, obviously that means you get like a 91 or a 92 out of the 400, right? <laughs> right, right, yeah. And and they'll be like, listen, man, like your cousin in Bangladesh, you saw him. You saw Shipon. Shipon doesn't have, Shipon. <laughs> Shipon doesn't have a, a shirt to put on his back, you know? And I know, like, I know I'm laughing about it now, like, nervously, right? But it's true. Like, our parents are always, always on our backs. But it's because, because of the, the comfort levels that we've grown up with and the standard of living and, like, the healthcare and all that that we've grown up with in the United States, we've lost sight of the fact of just how much our parents had to sacrifice. And, and we don't understand. Right? Like, yes, we have it hard. We have it really hard as first-generation Bengali-Americans, but we still don't understand the magnitude of what they had to go through, right? And what their family had to go through. It's also like your your parents have lived both sides of the coin. I mean, your dad came here 30-ish years ago, and I'm mm-hmm. assuming... Like, My mom came, came like seven years ago, yeah. Right, so if anything, <clears throat> they spent more time here than there, but still they've seen both sides of the coin yeah. and experienced it, whereas mm-hmm. for us, at least people who are born in America or people who come here at a very young age, like all we know is America... Mm-hmm. Yes, we visit Bangladesh, but it's never the same as like truly experiencing and going through the Bangladesh education system and seeing right. We we take a lot of it for granted. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's something to feel guilty about because I mean, what are we supposed to do about it? Like we grew up right. in America. Like I can't change that about myself, right? I think it's just something more to be understanding of, mm-hmm. and it's something that I, like a lot of us might feel resentful towards their parents because of all the pressure that we have to deal with and like, why don't they understand that I don't want to be a doctor or anything like that? But ultimately, you have to put everything in perspective. 
and we have to understand all the sacrifices they made and why their mindset is the way it, the way is. it is. It's because of the experiences that they've had. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that any person of our generation will be similarly shaped by our experiences now and will act a certain way toward their kids based on how we, we, right. we grew I mean, up on our first, listen, first I mean, generation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like now that we have like these first generation guys, right? A lot of us have made it through the public school system, through the university system. When we have kids, we're going to think our own kids are soft. We're going to be like, oh, you yeah, have no clue what I used to have back to Back in to. my day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, back in my day, my mom used to tell me, Juta the body they will shoot if you don't if you do not do your homework, right? And you're lucky I'm not doing that. Exactly, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really crazy. Um, I remember when I visited Bangladesh and my my cousin who's in 10th grade mm-hmm. in Taka was telling me how kids in his class, like the teachers would not teach the full lesson. They would maybe go through like 80% of the quadratic formula, for example. Uh-huh. And if you wanted to learn the last 20% of the quadratic formula, you had to go to his like private hours, like private tutoring hours. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, you had to pay for. Mm, and so yeah. the kids who, like, couldn't afford that, whose parents couldn't afford that... They were fundamentally they were, at a disadvantage. Yeah, and this is, like, a public, like, system. Yeah. And there's such a, like, divide already or, like, some capitalist opportunity of, like, let me make money off of this. Yeah. But it's so, it's so different. I mean, education just opens up so many doors, you know? And mm-hmm. it, I know there are so many studies about, like, income level and um, in terms of, like, IQ and income level... And now, of course, IQ is not really a relevant mm-hmm. measure, but um, but I mean, it's it's so great how our generation, specifically first generation, is kind of like the catalyst and the like the the example that shows that you know like anything is possible. Like we can really do anything if you give us the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And I think this first generation of Bengali immigrants, in particular. I think it, it's a bridge generation, right? We have the people who laid down the foundations for us, and that's our parents, right? Because they put in the work to just give us the bare necessities to survive, to have a place to live, to put us through the educational system. We're the bridge generation because we understand what it's like to have that first generation background and to have parents who put in all that hard work. And now the question is, okay, what? how can we translate all that they've done for us into the opportunities that we've managed to create for ourselves into the next generation, mm-hmm. right? How can we make the Bengali American experience even better than it was one generation ago? Our parents have already done so much to make this experience so much more positive for us. Now, what's our contribution? Right. How can we extend that movement? Yeah. They kind of give us the springboard to jump off of, but how far we want to jump or mm-hmm. how we want to give back um, really depends on us. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. Um, I was actually thinking, Based on my own experience, I feel like a lot of Bengali families have a very keen emphasis on education, right? Like, like you have to go to college. Um, mm-hmm. like if, if you try to contest that, that's like a whole stigma. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it's like, oh, no, you have to get your master's or like, oh, you have to go for like an MD or like some other higher degree. Um, but it, it seems like sometimes when I talk to other Bengali Americans, like in high school, mm-hmm. who are applying, they always hit me with the card of... But Noshin, like, my family doesn't have that much money, and I can't go to XYZ University, so I'm going to go to CUNY, or I'm going to go to a SUNY Mm -hmm. if they're, like, based in New York, which is completely okay, and they're really great, like, CUNY and SUNY schools. Um, But they, it might be, like, not knowing about, like, the system or how some financial aid programs might be, Mm -hmm. or it just seems like they're 
underselling themselves or cutting themselves short from the very beginning and that totally like reframes their frame of mind like very differently from the beginning yeah uh i think higher education in the united states has definitely gotten a lot better about financial aid in recent years um i think most of the top tier colleges if you're accepted a lot of them will give you full rides or something close to a full ride and then there's other outside programs as well such as quest bridge is a very popular one there's posse there's green light there's a bunch of programs um, that will give you the money if you need it. I think where the system can improve even more is raising more awareness about these programs and letting students know like, hey, if you have the talent, if you put in this work, money is not going to be an issue for you. Obviously, it is, it's always going to be more difficult as a first-generation right. student, no matter how you put it. Yep. No matter what I do, I'm never going to have it as easy as those people who are so paying full tuition at Tufts, trust yep. fund kids, right, and whatnot. It's always going to be a little bit harder but hey, we could still make it possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also something that I want to I think about more as a teacher, right? When I'm talking to my students, I'm going to be teaching kids from backgrounds like me, from very low-income backgrounds. Yep. And for many of them, they might have that feeling like, you know what, what's the point of me even putting in all this time and effort? Like, this isn't worth it in the long run because I'm not even going to be able to go to college. Even if I got in, I wouldn't be able to pay for it, mm-hmm. right? Um, so these are kind of mis- misconceptions you definitely want to address as a very teacher, as on. an educator, right, and you you want to raise awareness of these things just in general. Yeah, I also I also get hit with the card of my parents don't want me to dorm or move, mm. move out of. Yep, that's the a house. big one. Yeah, and that I think that if anything limits the choices much more because mm. there are only a couple of well, I guess in New York it's easier. Like you can go to the subway to a lot of those different schools, but yeah, it definitely does limit your choices. And I I hope that that breaks by the time it's our generation since we're. I guess like more. Um, I guess we'll we'll have gone through the system and know. Right. The a lot of us of have dormed. dormed. We right. turned out pretty okay. You've dormed, like I've dormed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I think a lot of Bengali parents have that fear, especially ones from like a more conservative, like religious background. Of mm-hmm. I don't know what happens like at dorms and coming from Bangladesh especially and, and like seeing the black to white difference of mm-hmm. like cultural and like social right. life here it, it definitely is like very scary what well, i mean it's it's a fear of the unknown right a lot of my parents they haven't dormed they definitely haven't dormed in america right. right so they don't know what that's like and it's also just a fear of losing culture right because yeah. our parents they're bengalis they were born and raised in bangladesh they want us to be bengali too they want to see themselves in us and so for us to go far far away 500 a thousand miles away to god knows where and live without them around just Americans, just mostly right. white people, like all these white colleges, right? Yeah. It is scary because it's like, okay, like my, my bacha, my pichi, right? My little, my little kid, he's, he's growing up and he's doing his own thing. Like, does he still remember how Bengali he is? Like, yeah. is he still going to be appreciative of all this culture? Like, what's he going to eat? They don't have dalbat oh at these dining halls. My mom always says me that card, like, what do you actually eat? And yeah. I'm like, it's fine. I don't always have to eat rice. <laughs> right. And I say, I, I say, I say, I eat pasta. And she say, pasta kali, kali kihobe. Like, that's not food. To her, it's not food. Right. right? To them, it's, if so, it's not Bengali, it's not right. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. language barriers, culture barriers, and just... A fear of the unknown there and you really can't blame them for it yeah you yeah. kind of have, just have to write it out i mm-hmm. guess we get the brunt of it as mm-hmm. first generation and then from there hopefully a smooth sailing but yeah, yeah i totally feel you yeah. so it seems like you had some help navigating through the college admission process from early on um one of them being the very renowned consultorial mm-hmm. led by well, now dr ivan khan um and yeah. he has like multiple branches he was on the podcast yeah yeah, that's, yeah. That's pretty awesome and he has his own podcast where he features a lot of no really yeah. awesome yeah mm-hmm. um so what what is your involvement with them 
Well, I'm not, I'm not affiliated with Consultorio anymore. Right. I never went there as a student either. Uh, I did, however, teach there during my senior year of high school and for a little bit during the summers of my freshman year of college. Um, so I, I was HSAP, I was teaching like high school students, which is actually kind of, I think, my experiences at cons working with students one-on-one -on -one directly, I think it further cemented my passion for working in education because I saw how much I loved working with students. Um, was that the first time that you were in like a teacher-like position or tutor position? Uh, it wasn't the first, I think it was the first time I was formally in a teaching yeah. position of some sort because before that I always like tutored my cousins or my little sister or right, something like right, that, you know? Right. But this was the first time like you're in a professional setting and you have these set goals and you want to help your students achieve those set goals. So I definitely, I'm very appreciative to cons for giving me the opportunity to work with students directly because I really, really enjoyed that experience. Um, and another thing that I really enjoyed while I was working at cons was working on mastering college admissions. So that was an initiative they... When I was working on it, it was fairly new, and it was basically a series of presentations. Uh, you sit down with students, uh, and you just talk to them about their options for the college admissions process, different things you could do for financial aid, all the different tips and tricks. Um, and I really appreciated they, that they had that, and they offered that for their students. Because again, as first-generation college students, if we don't hear this from Constitutorial, where the heck else are we going to hear this from? Right. You know, Because we just don't have those networks in place yet. Our parents are also figuring this out the same time as we are, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think uh, those those workshops and whatnot are very very helpful for students like us. Right. Um, so once once you're done being a student at Tufts, or once once you kind of are done being a teacher um, to to kids at school, like what other roles do you see yourself fulfilling? What do you mean? Like I. It seems like you're 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 definitely experiencing both sides of the coin of like being a student and a teacher. But like besides mm -hmm. besides the education realm, mm -hmm. um, like what other ways do you think that people can like inspire and empower others like within our community? So, I think before I get into that, first of all, I'd like to actually just thank you guys for bringing the community together in the way that you guys do. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've seen you guys, I've seen you guys on Instagram and on Facebook for a while now, but it's a whole different experience when you just see the sheer magnitude of support that you receive because of things like Bengalis in New York. So mm -hmm. I, for example, I make a lot of posts on Facebook all the time. I write like a lot of, a lot of different things, whatever comes to my mind, I'm always ranting about it or rambling about something or another. Um, but I think this was the first time that I wrote something that actually resonated with a lot of people. And I was able to, I think, bring some joy or bring some hope to a lot of people and it brought me so much love and support. I mean, like dozens of people reached out to me, right. people, complete strangers who I've never heard of in my entire life, but they're reaching out to me because we have this bond, because we're Bengali, American, New Yorkers, right? right. That bond means so much to us that it could, it takes priority over the fact that, hey, this is just another stranger. Right. And I think that's amazing. And to have a platform like Bengalis of New York to bring those voices together, to hear all these different perspectives and to bring this community together it's incredible. And I just wanted to say thank yeah. you so much for all the work, the hard work that you guys do in making this platform and in making this community come together possible. Absolutely. I mean, as a platform, we're, we're so thrilled to have you and to actually be able to talk to you and like delve deeper into what you specifically wrote into one paragraph. Um, but interestingly, when you look at our post analysis, a lot of the people that responded and shared and commented on your post were actually from Bangladesh. They were from Thailand. Really? They were from Silet. They were from Chittagong. Wow. And that 
to us as a team is so perplexing. We're like, why? Or like specifically, mm-hmm. why is this post so popular? Mm-hmm. And why does it resonate with people? Why do people react to this in Bangladesh? Mm-hmm. Is it because they this is this post kind of sim- symbolizes exactly what we think America is of maybe yeah right like this was a Bangladeshi person who was illiterate and then he went to Bangladesh he went to America mm-hmm. and now his kids are like very successful and look he's becoming a teacher right yeah it's I think it's it's just the, it's the hope it's that sense of hope it's that sense of the dreaming right that all the inspiration like the maybe the what if what if it could work out? And just the idea like, you know what? I'm making all these sacrifices. I hope things work out. And then finally seeing like, hey, 30 years down the line, it does work out. And I think just as like as Bengalis, just as humans, really, um, hearing these stories, thinking that it can and it will be okay, those are the kind of things that really keep us going. Yeah. And those are the kind of things that motivate us and inspire us through those difficult moments that, we're fa- that we have to face on a daily basis um yeah yeah. and i i think in a very like cynical world where a lot is happening like on the media and you get bombarded with everything that's happening i mean from the scale of our government to like petty violent crimes that happen seeing this story is like that light that light in the dark Mm -hmm. that's like okay this is this is worth it and you know everyone struggles and is like around the same kind of environment in the world but there there is hope there are buds there that are going to blossom it and, will pay off yeah you know, like it will work out yeah things will be better that's yeah. really awesome i i absolutely love your like positive energy i feel like it's filling this room and i really wish i and i hope it's in, captured in this podcast like through the audio file but it's incredible what you've done and um what your family's done and your whole like lineage of like where you started to where you are now is incredible and I, I kind of want to do a podcast like 10 years from now and be like, where's Shaw today? Like, where's Prince Shaw today? You know? <laughs> well, let me know and, and I'll, I'll, I'll join you guys. See if your philosophy is still the same. Because mm-hmm. I, yeah, th- this is really awesome. And I really hope you don't get jaded by the world. <laughs> I don't get jaded. <laughs> I, hope, I hope so too. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of New Yorkers especially are super jaded. Com- mm-hmm. At least compared to where we're recording now in Boston. Uh-huh. The the energy just feels well i mean so if, if if you're growing up and living in new york on the day-to-day you see a lot of things you know so i think that definitely contributes to it yeah. you see you see all the good things you see the highest of the highs right and then you the see the lowest of the lows, lows right you see the homeless people outside of like the the, the greatest skyscrapers in all of manhattan yeah. so you see it all right and i mean it's just it's it's hard to process all of that and yeah that's why people become indifferent you become jaded yeah yeah well i really hope you don't don't get jaded Okay. Thank you so much for for coming out. Um, And we're so thrilled to have been able to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Signing out. The red and green I beat is always in my heart. I do it for my people, always in my thoughts. I got to be honest with diamonds and pearls. Yeah, yeah. Bengal is a New York. All over the world. Uh, it's the bony show. Uh, Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live. From the slang we spit to the gangs we with. It doesn't matter, we the essence of the Bangladesh. I say, hey, come on. Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live. From the slang.